All right, it's time for another show I call 10 Questions With. This time around, it's with my buddy Don Komarechka. This is Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. This time around, we're doing the second episode of a newer series I call 10 Questions With. The basic idea of this, it's a little different than the normal shows. The basic idea is kind of an extension of what I do at the end of the normal shows. At the end of every normal show, I do four or five questions. I call a speed round. This is just that kind of on steroids. It's 10 questions with a photographer that I admire because depending on the question that you ask, it's amazing what you can learn about somebody. These questions will be a little bit about photography, a little bit about life, and sometimes just something stupid and weird thrown in just for fun. The idea is it's still a speed round unless, of course, the question needs more than that. We'll just kind of play it by ear. As always, the show notes for this show and every show that I do are at behindtheshot.tv. Just head over to the website, find this episode, click the link, and you'll find a little bit I write about my guests and a small sample gallery of their work. And most importantly, all the links related to that guest so you can go follow them everywhere, check out their podcasts and do all of that type of stuff. And this time around, I've got a buddy of mine on the show. I'd like to welcome to the show, Don Komarechka. Don, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Steve. It's been a while since I've been on your programming here. Uh, great to be back. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you back. Speaking of which, uh, I'm about to leave town for a couple of weeks to go to Scotland and Ireland. When I get back, I'd love to do another normal show with you. I didn't realize how long it's been until I was kind of researching and writing the blog post for this show. And it's been way too long. We need to get one of your shots and do a normal behind the shot with you. I'd love it. You know, I take behind the scenes images of most of my setups as well. So we can really dig in and, and tear it apart and put it back together. Um, it'd be fun. Yeah, I, I would enjoy that greatly. And by the way, we just finished when we're recording this. It's like 1 a.m. my time. And where you are, what is it now? 10 a.m.? 11. 11 a.m.? And because you're in Bulgaria. And we just finished recording one of your podcasts. For those that don't know Don Komarechkin, before we get into the 10 questions, just kind of let people know where they can find you and about your podcast, Photo Geek Weekly. Of course, so Photo Geek Weekly at photogeekweekly.com. That's easy enough. Uh, my website, doncom.ca, is where you'll find a portfolio of work and all the links to social media. Skycrystals.ca is where you'll find uh, my books in PDF format. The physical editions are currently, as of right now, sold out, although we are working on a second edition of my latest. Uh, and you know what? I'm pretty responsive, so send me an email, uh, tag me on something, and, uh, and you'll see what I have to say about it. And by the way, I mentioned this when we just did Photo Geek Weekly right before this. If you're not following Don on social media, like on Twitter, where it's just Doncom, D-O-N-K-O-M, you need to do so because Don has a wood-fired oven. And <laughs> seriously, I have never... The only other person who has this effect on me is Photo Joseph, where I just want to go eat after I see your posts. You know, one of the things I made recently was jalapeno poppers, which is a super easy thing to do. Um, you basically take some, some long cut bacon uh, and wrap that around half of a jalapeno pepper that's been stuffed with cream cheese. And you put that on a cast iron skillet and you slide it into the wood fired oven and nothing better. Super simple. The only difficult thing comes after a couple of hours when you realize you've eaten a dozen jalapenos. But the, yeah. the joy of, of the wood-fired oven is phenomenal. And uh, here in rural Bulgaria, it's easy to just kind of live simply and good as a result. 
And what's funny is I'm in Southern California. I love jalapenos. We put jalapenos on everything. And I saw that photo of the jalapeno poppers and almost flew there to try them because there is <laughs> if if you are a jalapeno fan or you like spice, there's very little better. There's a sushi restaurant near me. Now we're going into food again, which is what we did on your show. There's a sushi restaurant near me that does uh, tuna stuffed jalapenos. And it's fantastic. Interesting. Absolutely fantastic. So let's get into 10 questions with, again, you heard kind of the intro. The idea is just, I ask a question, you answer it as quick as you want to. It can be long, it can be short, it kind of just whatever you feel like doing. Question number one, you are mostly known as a macro photographer, but you photograph a lot of things. You're an amazing landscape photographer, et cetera. Why did macro photography become your specialty? What was the draw there? Uh, that basically the fact that you can give uh, everybody the exact same subject and they're going to end up with different results, vastly different results. You know, I, and I'll photograph the night sky and that's fine. And then it, it kind of comes down to the fact that, okay, you've got the wide angle view of the Milky Way and that's perfect. Great. How many people have done that before? A lot. And then your, your deviation from that becomes, well, what can you put in the foreground that's unique to you and your position in the world? And then I kind of kept looking more and more into that foreground and realized that there's entire stories and narratives built into that that don't require the element that is consistently always photographed by other people. You know, I, I can probably take a great image if you put me at Horseshoe Bend or any unpronounceable name of a waterfall in Iceland, uh, and, and that's fine. I would enjoy that, but it's not going to be unique as a result. Whereas if I, and I do workshops and stuff, if I were to have a, a group of people all with the same flowers and water droplets and what have you, the exact same ingredients, nobody is going to get the same thing as anybody else. They're always going to be unique and different. And I just got tired of taking images that other people had already taken before me. I love that answer because I think... You know, one of the one of the questions always is how do you take fresh pictures of iconic things, right? How do you take a picture of the Eiffel Tower when it's been photographed from every angle, you know, ad infinitum? And that's a great way of looking at why you picked the genre. Question number two, if you could have dinner with anyone, living or deceased, who would it be and why? Oh, God. I mean, the obvious answer is Hitler, so I could kill him. But uh, <laughs> the. <laughs> but, okay. you know, if I, were to, if I were to think from my own sensibilities beyond the, the betterment of, of the world, you know, it all depends. I mean, how many great minds would I be able to sit down with, but I never spoke the language of an ancient philosopher. Uh, and so it would have to be semi-modern and, and kind of in, in English. I, I would say... Stephen Hawking, Stephen oh. Hawking, captive audience. He he, uh, uh, he might take a while to respond to things, but you'd basically get a pretty profound answer to just about anything you'd ask. I didn't see that one coming at all. What is your favorite photography-related memory? Uh, that's tough. I mean, there's many, but I would say that when... Okay, so... My, my dad passed away, uh, well, more than a decade ago now, but he 
he was always into photography when he was a child, uh, and he would always be borrowing my grandfather's camera when he was in, in his teenage years and was working on the high school yearbook and all that. He loved it, and he wanted to become a professional photographer. Uh, my grandparents, his parents said, absolutely not. You can't do that for a career, and he went in a different direction. Long story short, um, my dad, uh, you know, wasn't kind to his body with drug abuse over the years and it caught up to him. And, but right before the end, he gave me a thousand dollars and he said, just go spend that on something that you'll enjoy. Uh, and fully expecting that I would probably spend that on a video game system or something, but he'd see me happy and that would be important to him. And I went out and I bought my first uh, digital SLR, my first camera at all, aside from a Game Boy camera or other little toys I might have had throughout the years. And I brought that and I showed him what I bought. And the enjoyment that I saw on his face was one of the happiest photographic memories and also one of the first. Love it. Love it. What's your favorite movie and, it's a two-parter, favorite TV show? Oh, God. Um Favorite movie is a tough one because there's so many uh, great stories that have had an impact on me. And so it's not just the, the viewing experience, it's how it had an effect on my life. And I, I guess I'm going to have to go back to the classic Star Wars Episode Four uh, because that came out before my time, but was introduced to me at a very formative time and established hero and villain archetypes in my mind uh, and started to develop an ethos as to what a good person is versus a bad person. And it's important to understand that those movies, as I mean, as timeless as they may seem, have affected an entire generation or multiple generations of people in a depiction of what good and bad are to make the world a better place. So and, for and that reason- let's add that Star Wars episode four, for those of you that are not Star Wars fans, is actually the first Star Wars movie. I worked at a movie theater when that movie came out. And before I ever saw it, in those days, we had to walk into the theater like the last minute that it was ending, wait, and then open the doors and prop the doors open when the movie was open. So I saw the ending of that movie probably a hundred times before I, I ever saw it. What about the TV show? Well, first of all, uh, Star Wars Episode Four. if you were there uh, running the, the stuff, is it true that it was originally Star Wars? Like the Episode Four came on subsequent screenings and the initial ones didn't even include that? Yes. To my, to my okay. knowledge, I'll be honest, I never paid attention to it, but me growing up, it was just Star Wars. The prequels, the, the three prequels did not exist except in George Lucas's mind. And everybody, I think at the time knew that, you know, he had this vast vision of a world that he wanted to do over multiple episodes, but I don't think anybody knew that the prequels would ever come into being. So the TV show to answer that question would be Battlestar Galactica. Uh, again, partly the hero and villain archetypes that it produces, but it really spins around the idea of, you know, future and past and, uh, you know, where people are going and human interactions when a society devolves. And there's a lot of post-apocalyptic shows out there, but this was one and one of the very few shows that I watched twice 
beginning to end the entire series because once you know the secrets that are revealed through it, the Easter eggs when you watch it a second time are so very enjoyable. Um, Edward J. Olmos uh, in one of the main acting roles there as uh, as Captain and later Admiral Adama uh, was just beyond phenomenal. And all of the characters as they were cast was acted and written to, to the sensibilities of those actors incredibly well. Battlestar Galactica. Edward James Olmos is one of the greatest actors, I think, of a generation. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Question number five, what do you see as the biggest issue in photography today? Bending reality. I think we talk a lot about this with AI and uh, photographers, you know, and I embrace Photoshop, don't get me wrong. There, there's, uh, there's reasons to edit and, uh, you know, massage your pixels to be what you want the end product to be. But I think that we are quickly moving away from our images depicting any version of reality. And we've seen that over the years, the whole Instagram phenomenon where people are showing selfies of themselves living a life that they aren't actually living. Yep. And that creates a false sense of reality. And I think that's going to be the biggest issue moving Moving forward where photography is being somewhat divorced from the real world, which is one of the reasons why my work, as manipulated as it might be by combining different ingredients uh, in a staged scene and what have you, the value I find is that it is a version of reality that's not manipulated or twisted after the fact. It's just some fun physics at work. And I find that to be one of the biggest values in, in my own work. And so the antithesis of that is that I am, uh, I'm afraid that photography is going to become so less real that it doesn't really mean anything anymore. And the whole purpose of being a photographer will lose its purpose. It's funny. I, I have described people today with, with the advent and, and popularity of social media as almost as having two personalities, like they're dual personality. You have, which in radio, which I've been in for 40 plus years, people that are in the, in, in that type of a media, we kind of have two personalities anyway, right? When I'm on the radio, I'm me, I'm not different than me, but if I've had a bad day, I can't show that part of me on the radio. It always yeah. has to be kind of a static part of me. And in some cases, there's a dual personality thing there where you could be depressed at home, but when you're on the microphone, you're on the microphone, you know, that type of a thing. And I think social media has kind of created that false reality where people do present a certain side of themselves, either identified or anonymously publicly. And they are often different when they're not on the social media. Before we jump into question number six, we're at the midway point. Let's take a little hiatus. And I just want to show, for those of you listening on the audio feed, I always have a little blog post that I write about my guest, in this case, you know, about Don. And as well, I always have a small sample gallery of their work. Don sent me a couple of pictures. All my guests always do. I put them in the blog post over at BehindTheShot.tv. So feel free to head over there and, and check these out. But I just wanted to take a minute, for those of you that don't know Don's work, and kind of show you some of the stuff that Don photographs. And this one is a new one, right? Yeah, I did that this past week. And and explain this shot. What is this shot? So it is a, uh, a pea vine tendril. As you know, peas climb and wrap little tendrils around whatever. So I, I plucked one of those off. 
and I stuck a dandelion seed, not just a single seed, not the whole seed head, just a single one, stuck it down um, this vine tendril that was wrapped around something else. So it's a little holder. In behind is uh, an osteospermum flower, which is in the daisy family. And you can get them in all sorts of different colors. This one had a purple center and uh, sort of golden petals, which I thought would be a nice color combination. Stuck that in behind. It's the out of focus background. And that comes into focus in the water droplets that I have placed on the dandelion seed, which are acting like lenses. The majority of the droplets placed with a spray bottle, one of them via a hypodermic needle, which is much larger, giving you a crystal ball effect uh, that creates the final composition. What I love about this type of photography, and I took your workshop on this type of photography, is in this particular image specifically, by the way, how amazingly crisp that flower in the water droplet is almost as though you are looking at a bubble and the the flower is inside the bubble. Some of the other shots that you sent, here's another water droplet refraction shot that you sent. That one was actually done live during uh, an out of Chicago live conference when I was, I don't know how many people were watching me do this, but it was done in front of a live audience with a multi-camera setup. And uh, I was thrilled that it turned out as good as it did because as you know, a lot of these uh, images, they might take a day or so of tinkering and failure to create what you see. It's not just as simple as set it up and go. And I'm, I kind of, I'm doing myself a disservice when I'm able to do that in front of an audience and make it look easy, but it turned out well. It's so good. The ones on top look like eyeballs because of the well, way that, that the, <laughs> the top wraps down. Yeah. It looks like eyelids. It's, it's a little bit weird in that sense, like in a great way. Uh, yeah, just, Amazing. Here's another one that you did. What is this? Uh, those are diamonds that have impurities in them that cause them to fluoresce under an ultraviolet light. Uh, different impurities cause different colors in that fluorescence. And I specifically chose one that was blue and one that was uh, yellow. Stack them on top of each other. These things are the size of grains of sand. So it's very difficult to, to sort of stack grains of sand. But I did. And uh, this was an image that I released into the public domain in support of Ukraine last year. And, um, and that was done with a 20 times microscope objective, I believe. Love it. Love it. Next up, what I originally knew uh, you for snowflakes. This is just such a brilliant, like it's nothing I'm going to do to me. I have your poster on the wall actually behind me that you were kind enough to send to me years and years ago at this point. But this to me is just such a brilliant style of photography. And then also, and oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I love the fact that I'm not putting my artistic uh, intent into this type of, uh, yes, I'm choosing the angle and what have you to get the right reflections and what have you, but it is just the beauty of nature that is being documented in a shot like that. And then last up is this one, which this one is unusual to me for your work because it's got kind of a an ethereal type mystical feel to it, which I don't normally see in your work. Yeah, and I just like bending light and, and having some fun with it. I almost was going to send you like some stereoscopic 3D stuff, but I figured that would be too far off of the norm. And this is as far away from my normal as I as I got in these samples. In the background, you've got sequins on a notebook that I bought for my daughter. One side of the sequin is blue. The other side is sort of a golden color. This is another support of Ukraine image. Um, and 
so I shot this with a, uh, a Trio Plan 100, sort of a, a vintage triplet optic that has a soap bubble bokeh effect in the background, which intentionally when that background is out of focus is going to create these interesting lines and shapes and across a flower that is inherent, like almost put perpendicular to the focal plane of the camera so that the foreground and the background kind of blur off into that ethereal background type of look. Um, just mucking around with light can be fun sometimes. I would love you to do more like this. Like I truly love that shot. And then what is, what, what is this? What do you think that is, Steve? Okay. So a couple of <laughs> things, a couple of things when I first saw this kind of stuck out to me. It kind of oddly looks like pieces of bark, but I think knowing that it's super magnified, is it part of some living being? It is not. It's probably older than the earth itself. This is a slice of a, uh, of a meteorite that fell in Northwest Africa uh, oh. that was sliced thin enough with the right materials uh, that made it transparent or at least translucent. And this is uh, imaged with cross-polarized light. So if, if you've got uh, a variable ND filter, you're basically got two polarizing filters that are that when they're in the greatest opposition to each other, they're incredibly dark. If you could take that apart and imagine that you've got those two polarizers in opposition, everything is going to be dark, except if you put something in between them that mucks with the direction of light. And I'll save you the physics lesson of how light does this weird corkscrew dance through things. But if it changes the polarity of light, then on the other end, you'll get not just darkness, you'll get something. And this cross-polarization effect, also called birefringence, uh, is something that I've been exploring a lot of with man-made crystals where I can mix up some citric acid and, uh, and have that solution create some beautiful abstract artwork. But it exists in nature as well. And I was lucky enough to be loaned the sample of a meteorite slice uh, for this image. Absolutely love it. And for those of you listening to the audio only feed, make sure you head to the website. Again, it's behindtheshot.tv. All the images that we just talked about are in the blog post over there, as well as all the links so that you can follow Don. But if you're watching the video, I'm also putting, you know, social media links, website, photogeekweekly.com, all of Don's links I'm putting on screen for those of you watching the video. Back into the questions. What's your favorite snack? Oh, God. Beef jerky. Um, there's no question it's beef jerky, but it's not that, you know, the stuff that you can get at a gas station really doesn't do it justice. There's a company in Alberta, uh, Alberta jerky. They make the absolute best snack. I would buy like a box of it at a time. I've since found a company in Estonia, um, because I can't really import meat products from Canada. Um, uh, that does a good job. There is a great, great spiced beef jerky. I got to try to make it myself at some point, but that's, that's where it's at. And if you're in the U.S., halfway between L.A. and Vegas is Baker. And in Baker, there's a very, very famous place, Alien Beef Jerky. And they've got tons of different beef jerkies there that are all they're, they're all pretty good. I should say I've tried pork jerky and turkey jerky, too. It's not just beef. I'm not just eating cows here. But uh, <laughs> all right, what was the next question? OK, what photographic genre do you wish you could do? Oh, um, Olympic sports photography, uh, just to be in the, what? uh, in the seat. 
Yeah, I mean, to, to be in the stadium during the Olympics when records are being broken and all of the crowds, and I'm not, I'm not a big fan of sports in, in just in the sense that the whole free agency system doesn't really make me, you know, want to cheer for a particular brand when all of the people change seats and they're from different countries and they just kind of come together uh, to formulate a team. But the Olympics have always impressed me because you've got one nation that is, uh, you know, uh, competing against other nations. And the idea of being able to photograph that national pride and and victories and everything else and to get those images i've always loved seeing them but to take them and to be there in that moment not just in the stands i think is something that i would just absolutely love yeah i i totally agree with you who would play you who would play don komarechka in a movie oh who would play me i don't know that is such a difficult question steve um, who do I don't even know who See, like as and a people celebrity, say to me, I, I had like. somebody say when I did the first one of these shows, they said, you should let the person know the questions in advance. I'm like, no, not a chance for just this reason. Uh, let's just for fun, say Ryan Gosling. Oh, I actually like that choice. That's actually pretty good. All right. Next question. Your best advice for new photographers. Like a new photographer just comes up to you and says, I'm starting in photography. Do you have any advice you say? Spend a basic amount of money on gear and then put all of the rest of your money on learning. It's about the skills that you bring to the table and not the equipment. And we can all obsess over the equipment. But if you were to hand me any camera that anybody presents me in a workshop to try to help somebody, and they're using a camera that's maybe 20 years old, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm able to get something useful out of that because I've had a lot of experience working with cameras and equipment and techniques across the board. But and yes, I have great equipment. I've got the best equipment that I could possibly utilize right now. It wasn't always the case. And I remember I went, uh, this was after shooting with the Canon 1DX Mark II for however many years I was shooting with it. Um, I decided that it was important that my work, especially when I'm trying to teach people, was not hidden behind this gigantic multi-thousand dollar, you know, $10,000 camera rig setup that it looks intimidating to people. I decided that I was going to shoot with the small Micro Four Thirds Lumix GX9, which wasn't even the flagship camera in, in that line. It was the, the travel, the premium travel camera. And I shot with that for a year. And I did demos in, uh, in camera clubs and workshops and what have you using this camera as the material. And I noticed immediately people changed their attitudes and started paying a lot more attention to what I was doing rather than the gear that I was using to get the results. Because the camera gear can be so easy to look at and say, well, you need this, you need that. You don't, you really don't. You need the knowledge as to how to use the camera gear that you already have. And that knowledge is worth far more than any new lens or camera body or accessory or whatever. So get the bare basics, stick with that. Any new budget you have for your photography, do not spend it on additional equipment unless a mentor says you need it. Focus on what the mentor is telling you and build up from there. Or if you've reached a point where you know that you've reached the limit of the gear that you have. I always used to, being a music photographer, I always used to use the example, Eddie Van Halen could own any guitar that he wanted and had his own gear line and played amazingly. But if Eddie Van Halen walked into a pawn shop 
and picked up a $35 guitar, I guarantee you he would blow your mind. He just had the ability and the knowledge to know what he could do with the better gear. Question number 10. Well, and so, no, I just want to echo one final thing on that, Steve, uh, is that you'd asked what a beginner would be. And I don't think any beginner is better than their gear. And so, but there's a delusion of grandeur that many (laughs) beginners think they're better than their gear. I've been there myself. Uh, And so when you say, okay, well, you know, when you feel like your gear is a limiting factor, you will feel that your gear is a limiting factor before it actually is. Don't believe yourself. Just keep focusing on the knowledge. Excellent point. Excellent point. Question number 10. What's your favorite drink? And it can be non-alcoholic, alcoholic, or both. Uh, Favorite drink? I'd say just a a really nice handmade Caesar. Uh, Varying on the Canadian. The Canadian Caesar is a variation on the Bloody Mary uh, in in the U.S. And... So instead of tomato juice, you use Clamato juice, which has tomato juice and clam juice and other spices in that. I'll often forego the clam juice because I have an allergy to shellfish. But it's, it's such an infinitely variable drink because you could add in different spices into it. You could put a different rim on it. The garnish, you always have a garnish in a Caesar. It could be a, a stick of celery. That's classic. I like a spicy pickled bean. Uh, and a garnish that is, um, uh, sorry, a, um, a rim of, of a salt, like a garlicky salt. And it's just, it, it's a meal in the drink itself. Uh, sprinkle a little bit of black pepper on top. Perfect for any occasion. Love it. Let's do a bonus question. Last question. Red, green, blue, or red. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, Mr. Don, thank you so much for doing it. People are going to go, what the hell was that? Like I said, it's photography questions and some of them just for the hell of it out of the blue. I like the Ryan Gosling one though. That was actually pretty good because I could actually see that one. Don, thank you so much for doing this again. Where can people find your podcast and you? So uh, doncom.ca, that's where you'll find all the links. I know the the website is somewhat outdated, but the links are still relevant there. And the podcast at photogeekweekly.com. And if you just type in photogeekweekly and wherever you find your podcasts, you will find mine. There's also uh, a piggyback podcast to that that I update periodically called Inside the Lens. It's all on the same website at photogeekweekly.com. And again, if you are not subscribed to Photo Geek Weekly, I am lucky enough to have been on that show a number of times. We just recorded one tonight. It will air long before this. This one's going to air after I get back from vacation. But it is a podcast. You know, I tried the other day describing this show to somebody. It is exactly what it says. It's a combination of photography and geekery in a way that is fun and insightful and serious at times and important at times and funny at times. And it really is, to me, one of the the best photography-related podcasts out there. You should definitely go subscribe to it. Don, again, thank you so much for doing this, buddy. Thank you for making this happen, Steve. And I'm glad that everybody is listening, that your audience is growing. And, uh, and again, uh, if you are listening to this, you've probably been you know, a fan, I hope a fan of Steve's work for a while. Go right back to episode one of Behind the Shot. 
because the series that Steve has been producing here, not just now, but it's all timeless. The interviews and the conversations, they, they don't have to be current. Go back to number one and you'll enjoy it all. Thank you very, very much. My first episode with, was Frederick Van Johnson, by the way. And in fact, I could name my first five episodes probably. Troy Miller was in there. My buddy Christy Goodwin was in there. If you don't know Christy's work, Adam L. Micaias was in there. Um, yeah, just head back and do anything that you can. I appreciate it. Of course, if you've got comments, leave them on YouTube. Head down below the like and subscribe button. And you know, you'll find same as I do in the blog post where I write the blog post with all the links and the sample gallery. Well, on YouTube, it's not the same. Like I can't put the whole blog post there. But any links that we talk about are there. The link to the blog post is down there right below the uh, like and subscribe button. And again, the blog is over at behindtheshot.tv. All the back catalog is there. And reach out to me anywhere you want to. It's at Steve Brazel on any social media. I'm not really on Facebook, but you know, Instagram, Twitter, Mastodon, any of those, reach out to me. The podcast is on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Behind the Shot TV. Thanks to everybody, as always, for watching. We will see you next time. Make sure you join us as we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind the shot. <laughs> <laughs>